And the first reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 21, beginning of verse 1. 1 Samuel, beginning of us, uh, 1 Samuel 21, beginning of verse 1. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? <coughs> Excuse me. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. The New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, to chapter 12, verse 21, um, on page 966 of the Church Bibles. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you heard, read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have condemned, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit 
on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. I will uh, open that passage that we read a little while ago, uh, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at that part of the Bible. All right, there is an outline that uh, hopefully you've got, uh, there's one on your table, or if not, there's still a bunch of them at the door, Uh, and that's an outline so that you can follow along where we're going. Hopefully we've got some slides as well. Tony's been doing a great job. There's a new system, so it's a bit trickier for all of the people who are coming in and doing PowerPoint today, uh, so uh, we'll be gracious to them. Thank you. Um, do you like ticking boxes, uh, striking things off the list? You know, uh, Maybe you've got one of those big red completed stamps that you can stamp on things, or maybe you know that paid one where you can stamp it on your bills or something like that. I think I'd like to have one of those completed stamps. That'd be good. I could, unfortunately, I probably couldn't like stamp it on, you know, people or anything like that. But I know my wife has a certain satisfaction, uh, gets a certain satisfaction by striking things off the to-do list, off the things that have now been done. Uh, but as you go about your ticking of boxes, uh, are you ever tempted to, to just do the bare minimum? You know, to do just, just enough to get you over the line so that you can tick that box? Do peas make degrees, as they say? Uh, is near enough good enough? Is that how things often work for you? That's kind of one end of the spectrum, though. Uh, are you down the other end, then? You like to do things well, and I don't just mean do them well, do them really well. So well, in fact, that it, it seems like it's an age before you actually get to tick one thing off the list, and you tick it off carefully. Sometimes uh, I'm certainly more down this end of the spectrum and uh, sometimes that can be a little bit paralysing when it comes to seeing the things that you need to do and that you just simply don't start because it would take too long to do them and then they stay as an unticked box for so long. There are forces of perfectionopia, evil forces of perfectionopia. I also think that there are sometimes... There's good forces of perfectionopia, but yes, there are evil forces of perfectionopia that we can get consumed by. Well, wherever you sit on the spectrum, though, uh, there's times when we can, I think, all think about obeying God's laws as being all about a series of boxes to tick. We can be so set on ticking the boxes that we miss the bigger picture, the why. We can assume, maybe, uh, that, look, as long as I tick the most important ones, the biggest boxes, then everything will be all right, it's all good, God will be happy. Or maybe even as we read our Bibles, we you know read our Old Testament, our New Testament, we see different commands there, we can just simply be a bit confused about what boxes to tick and how to tick them. Well, this evening, as we follow Jesus through a few encounters with some of the strictest box tickers of his day, we'll get more than just a lesson in the law. We'll actually get an encounter with the divine. As I come with me, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew 12, and uh, we'll see there at verse 1. The scene begins there. 
uh, with Jesus and his disciples, taking a nice, relaxing Saturday walk through the grain fields. Look with me, verse 1. I think we've got it on the screen as well. Yes, excellent. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. But somebody's watching. Verse 2, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. This picture, the disciples, they're on a relaxing stroll through the fields and they're pulled up, or at least Jesus is, as they pick a couple of bits of grain and rub them in their hands and toss them in the mouth, a little snack on the way. The presenting issue for the Pharisees here is obedience, or or rather disobedience to the law, the law about the Sabbath day, no work. Now Jesus and his disciples on this day, it's a Sabbath day, so they're probably actually not very far from home. There was a limit to how far you could travel uh, on a Sabbath day, about 1,100 metres, I think. And uh, so they're not going to be very far. Assumedly, then they're not starving to death. This isn't. This is not a, a moment of extreme hunger that they're just going to fall down famished if they don't get these few grains. But still, even then, from Matthew's account, it seems a bit far fetched to call what the disciples are doing to call it reaping. That's one of the thirty-nine prohibited activities that the Jews had in their. Uh, their law around God's law, their halakha is kind of the name of it. Um, but that's what the Pharisees are saying. The disciples are reaping. They're doing what is unlawful. Now, is this, you know, the best they can come up with? It seems like a pretty slow news day, I think, uh, if this is what they've got for their guess who broke the, the Sabbath gossip column in the Galilee Times. Surely there's something better. But it's not long before they're at it again. Uh, Come with me down to the bottom of the page there, verse 9, page 966, if you haven't got it. And and then after that, we'll come back to Jesus' response. So verse 9, going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue. A man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, the, the thing that is the issue on the face of it, the presenting issue is obedience to the Sabbath. However, this time we're given a, a deeper insight into what's actually going on for them. Do you see it there? Uh, on the second bottom line, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him such and such. Now, on the surface, they're concerned with obedience to the Sabbath, but there's a deeper conflict between them and Jesus which is bubbling up here. One that is going to end up taking him where? Verse 14, to the cross. Putting someone to death sounds like, you know, that's a fairly heavy-handed measures for an issue over a couple of grains and and a sore arm. Surely we don't need to go that far. But to understand what's going on, we need to take a closer look at Jesus' response. Jesus' answer in verses 3 through to 8. I'll paraphrase a little. Jesus' answer. Verse 3, Haven't you heard what David did, he says, eating the priest's only bread? Or haven't you read how the priests work on the Sabbath but are innocent? Verse 7, Haven't you looked at those verses which I told you about back in chapter 9? 
really, if you look back in chapter 9, he probably didn't say exactly that, uh, but if you look back in chapter 9, you'll see that Jesus has said these same words from Hosea to the, to the Pharisees, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What's he saying here? In a nutshell, he's saying, you don't get it because you don't get God. You've got God wrong. You see, you guys are supposed to be the law guys, but you don't get the law. You don't get the law right because you haven't got God right. God is not a legalist. God is not a legalist. The Pharisees were the moral law police of the day. They knew the law back to front, like the back of their hand. But they misinterpret the law, you see. They miss the God behind the law. And so they misinterpret the law. In fact, you might even say that they preferred the law to the law giver. And we'll see why a little bit later. You see, their getting God wrong isn't kind of just a, a simple mistake, an innocent mistake, a neutral, harmless thing. It's a decision that comes out of rebellion against God. It's the refusal to let God be God, let him be the one who he says he is. It's the insistence on forming God and who he is according to your own designs. I see God how I want to see God. And this is rooted in sin. For the Pharisees, it comes out in legalism. Now, as Aussies, uh, with a culture of just general disdain for authority... There's a certain question that our culture would push us to at this point. Why would anyone want to be a legalist? Like, what appeal does it have? You're following rules all the time. Why would you want to do that? Well, in a way, it can actually simplify things. I mean, think about it with me. It's do this, don't do this, don't do that. It makes things a bit black and white. I don't have to think so much. It also means, hey, look, I can tick a box and then I'm done. I can go free, free to go about my business. It allows me to work out the minimum effort required to satisfy God's law, to tick that box, and then I can give most of my energy to what I really want to give it to. It also gives us a basis to justify ourselves through our own action. Look at all the things I've done. Look at all the boxes I've ticked. Legalism ties in well with pride and maintaining a high view of ourselves. But it also, we can use it to excuse ourselves. It's a little old now, the quote, uh, and I think probably most of you would still know or at least have heard the famous line, even if you don't know who it's by. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Bill Clinton, the former US president. We might think, what is he thinking? Like, how could he have possibly said that under oath? 
but that's just the kind of thing we can do. Legalism. What appeal does legalism have then? Well, lots actually, because ultimately legalism is about using the law to serve yourself. Although it might look like submitting to the law, obeying the law, it's actually a subtle way to bring the power into your court. And so the Pharisees, you see, they don't actually obey the law, as in submit themselves to it. Rather, they take hold of it. They use the law and submit it to their own desires for their own gain. They build themselves up and put others down. They use it as a means, in verse 10, to get rid of the one that they perceive as a threat, Jesus. They use the law as a cover-up for sins. You might have heard the phrase in the Bible, love covers over a multitude of sins. But legalism provides a cover for sins to multiply. Now, for us as Christian, the fact that sin still has effects in our lives, I think we've all actually got legalistic tendencies to some degree or other. So the point of rebuke, the, the, the pointy end of this for us here then, is to ask ourselves, where might we be using outward obedience, obedience to a rule or ticking a box, to take ourselves off the hook in regards to our obedience in here, our obedience at the heart. What rule is it that allows you to tick the box and then ignore what's going on inside? An example uh, from home, uh, and you kind of have to laugh a bit, children can be the greatest pedants when they want, can't they? No, I didn't throw it, I just went like that. Okay, so it dropped out of your hand while your arm was moving. But that's it, isn't it? That's that's us. We're just maybe, you know, more sophisticated. But only slightly. A little while ago I was I was talking to a friend about avoiding pornography. Uh, me and a mate, we ask each other about how we're going with that, making sure that we're not doing things that we don't want to do. Uh, avoiding pornography on the internet. But as we were chatting, it made me realise about a subtle shift that I'd made, a shift into legalism. You see, because I was avoiding it online, avoid, avoiding accessing it online, I'd moved on to minimising the issue of dealing with the lust that's still in my heart. You see, I could give myself a tick, given, you know, regarding the no porn online thing. Hey, this is good, you know, tick, tick. I could convince myself that lust wasn't an issue for me. I was letting legalism provide a cover for the sin of my heart. I was taking pride in my, you know, victory over porn, but neglecting the lust that was still alive and kicking in here. Maybe rather than a a don't that we're treating in a legalistic way, maybe it's a do that we're treating in a legalistic way, using as a cover for sin. Maybe using as as a ladder to mount up our pride. 
What Christian things, Christian life things, do you do to, to try and tick off? Just so that you can get the ticks out there and not think about what's going on in here. If you're, if you're a Christian, do you tick the box of coming to church each, each week? And, hey, that's good, tick, tick, without then thinking actually, thinking and acting on why you are here, that you've come here to, to serve and love others rather than being just here to consume. Is it maybe the once-off prayer in the morning which means then you're kind of off the hook for prayerful dependence upon God throughout the rest of the day. Oh, I did that kind of prayer at the beginning. I don't need to worry about praying. Is it giving, maybe? This is something that I've been thinking about. Ticking the box on electronic giving. You know, that's all set up, great, I don't need to think about it. But then kind of saying, well, I don't need to think about being generous at other times, growing a generous heart. Something that I need to keep thinking about. Maybe it's ticking the box for kind of merely believing in God and and having good morals, which then means you're off the hook for pressing forward towards loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. What box is it for you? Where do you try and get yourself off the hook? Or in what area do you congratulate yourself for all that you've done? Now, I'm not saying saying don't follow rules anymore or that rules themselves have no value, but rather don't make this mistake. Don't fool yourself into thinking that ticking the box on a rule means that you don't need to think about what's going on in here or up here. You see, sin thrives in the darkness under the cover of legalism that it can bring. Don't let it be a cover anymore. Don't get God wrong like the Pharisees. Confess your sin to God and and speak to a close friend about it. Let it be exposed. Sit under the grace of God's Word and by the power of God's Spirit you will see change. Don't get God wrong like the Pharisees. He's not a legalist. What is he? How do we see him? Well, that's the deeper issue that Jesus goes on to speak about. You see, he's spoken about the law and the Pharisees, but more than just a rebuke, more than just a lesson in the law, here Jesus is showing us who he is, bringing us an encounter with the divine. He's showing us how we can get God right. To see it, we just need to look briefly at what the Sabbath is about. Okay, the Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath, uh, that's just the Hebrew word for seven, Sabbat. Uh, Sounds good when I say it with an accent like that, doesn't it? Shabbat. And it's associated with the idea of rest. That actually goes back to... The beginning, back to Genesis, a creation, what God did on the seventh day. Here, look, we'll all turn there. It's a really easy page to find. It's page number one, okay? Page number one, Genesis chapter one. Flip there quickly. Or you might want to keep your hand in the Matthew 12. That's the thing that you 
you know, trap, small trap for young players. All right. Um, Genesis chapter 1. You can see a bit of a pattern here in Genesis 1 as we look at these words. You see a, a kind of God speaks, things happen, things come into being, and then there's an evening and morning, a kind of the end of the days. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. And the pattern goes on. The NIV translators have, have helpfully laid it out for us with the kind of little indenting. You can see it. And God said, blah, 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 and there was evening, there was morning. There was evening, there was morning. There was evening, there was morning. Until, stop. Over the page, it's the seventh day. Chapter 2, verse 2. The seventh day, God rested. Now, it's not the kind of rest that says, gee, I've been working really hard, I'm a bit tired, need to sit down. God doesn't, you know, have his walking stick that he pulls out from time to time. What is it about here? It's about God enjoying his creation. God blessing his creation, doing good things for his creation and his creation enjoying him. This is the why he has made it. This is the why that he has made us. There's no evening and morning and evening morning that, that starts again after this. The seventh day keeps going because this is the purpose of the creation. Him enjoying and blessing his creation as we enjoy him. That's where the idea of Sabbath relating to rest comes from. That's what it's really about. Rest with God, enjoying him forever. Now, to me, that sounds a little bit like the end of the story, doesn't it? You know, when God rested on the Sabbath day and then we all lived happily ever after. But of course, it's only page two and there's lots of pages to come. As you know, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. They leave his rest behind. They go out of the garden and life is hard. And the rest of the Bible is about God acting to re-establish that rest with his people. Not a rest exactly the same as before, but better than the first. A rest that will never be broken. Eternal life with God, enjoying him forever. And that story continues throughout the Bible. There's a few significant uh, points in that. I've got a couple of verses just on the top of the outline for you if you want to have a look at later on. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. At this point, God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and he doesn't just give them a national identity, he gives them a calendar as well. You know, you, you're an Israelite, you've got your national identity card and on the back it's got a calendar and it says every seventh day, rest. They'd have a reminder about God. They'd look back to creation and not just remember God, but to know why they are here. You are here because God has made you to enjoy Him. Life is about rest with God joyful relationship with him. A little later on in Deuteronomy 5, we see how the Sabbath day not only points back but points forward, points to the rescue that God has made, bringing them into that rest. So the point is, what's the Sabbath about? It's about God. It's about why we're here. It's about the fact that we are for him. The Sabbath is something that God has made, God has set apart. 
It serves him. It shows us his plans and purposes for why we are here. And so then as we understand that and go back to Matthew 12, we understand a whole lot more about what's actually going on. Come back with me. Matthew 12, it's on page 966. Just find it as well. Matthew 12, 966, and we're just looking to look at uh, one line down the bottom, verse 8. What does Jesus say here? Verse 8. He says, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's a bit strange, isn't it? I thought the Lord was the Lord of the Sabbath. Isn't that what we just read, that it was pointing back to God? If you're Lord of something, then you're master of it. it. It serves you. But Jesus says, no, no, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves me. It points to me. This lesson with the Pharisees then isn't just a lesson, simple lesson in the law. It's Jesus showing us who he is. Showing us how to get God right. Jesus isn't saying, I'm the new kid on the block and there's going to be a few changes around here in the next little while. He's saying, it's all about me. The Lord, God is here. The one whose hands formed the dry land. I am here. The one who's bringing us toward what we were made for, that new rest. He is here. It's about him that life is all about. To finish then, I just want us to see the two responses to Jesus in this little passage. There's the disciples, turning, sorry, trusting and following Jesus. We know that they don't fully get it at this point. You know, Matthew 16 is still to come where Peter gumps it all up and says to Jesus, no, 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 you're not going to die. We know that they don't fully get everything yet. They make mistakes. They haven't got everything sorted out, but they know that there's something special about Jesus. He's God's king and they know they want to follow him. It's worth it. And then there's the Pharisees, rejecting and destroying. I'm sure at one level too, they don't fully get it. They don't fully know what they're doing, but they know that there's something they hate about Jesus. He's claiming to be God, to have authority and to take away theirs, and so they need to do away with him. They think that their plans, their way is better than God's. But they're missing out, like little kids who prefer to make mud pies in a slum than be taken on a holiday to paradise. Last week, Sean shared with us Jesus' invitation to his rest, to his Sabbath, to what we were made for. Let me urge you this evening to keep seeing the contrast, the blessing of God, just how good this Sabbath rest is. To be convinced, maybe for the first time, maybe just again and again, that it is worth it. Hear what Jesus is saying. Get God right and come into that rest with him.
Amén.